Welcome to After the Last Dance. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, as we exit this great series, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong. BJ, we made it. The finale, episode 9, episode 10. We've seen the entire saga of the 97-98 Bulls. How does it feel? We made it. We, f- we finally got to the end of this whole thing. It feels great for me as a fan of Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean, it was really an amazing, you know, docu-series. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to anticipate. Um, as I told you at the start of this, I was really nervous to watch it. Um, I didn't watch it, so I just watched it every week like everyone else. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm really happy that I did do it. Um, the thing is, is was like watching yourself is really weird tate <laughs> you yes, know we talked about that it's, yeah it's really it was really <laughs> it's really odd right it's really odd to talk about yourself and mm-hmm. things you were thinking as you know back then and all those stories but i think with michael and his personality and the the, the personality and the, and the and the player that he became that he was i think it's only right that he tells his story in the way he did and i thought it you know they did a magnificent job and uh you know, I never thought I would say this, but we probably need 10 hours more to get, you know, more of the story and get all the backstories and all of that stuff in. So it it was great to watch. And I thought they did a phenomenal job. And you say, you know, it's hard to talk about yourself or watch yourself, but it's also hard to talk about your friend, Michael. And we remember right. Jason Hare when we first started out, you know, this little after the last dance saga, we had director Jason Hare on who we'll have on, you know, later in the week. And he told us about the fact that, you know, he called you. You said, you know, nah, I'm good on that. Like, I, I'm not talking about Michael unless Michael gives me that blessing. Michael gives you the phone call. You get the blessing to talk about him. And then you were just like everyone else. And you're watching the story of your friend be told. You know the man that is Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, aside from what we just saw. So so knowing the man as a friend and then seeing the the figure himself, Michael Jordan, be explained through this documentary did you learn anything that you didn't know being his friend? Did you see something that that was that was different, um, you know, from being inside of it, just from being from the outside perspective? What was it? Because you weren't on the 98 team, obviously, right. but you know the infrastructure of that team and MJ and Scotty and the rest of those guys. Yeah, you know, like when Jason came on the podcast, I was I was very hesitant to do this. And, <laughs> yes. you know, Tate, my 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 entire life, I, I've my especially my adult life. Um, I spent my adult life in, as a you know, in the public's eye, mm-hmm. and I quickly learned that there, you know, is your public side and then there's your private side, and I always, I I knew what was public and I knew what was private, so I valued that with all of the my teammates. I always, you know, thought that it was incredible that I get a chance to see what we do publicly and we would go out there in our shorts and our tank top and we would entertain. Mm-hmm. And then there was the human side, which you're dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I, I've always valued that. And I always value that then. And I value it even more so now that I have kids. And um, the one thing that I learned that I always kind of suspected, but not to this degree is how much pain, it is to be a superstar Mm -hmm. and how lonely it is. And, um, you know, I, I kind of knew it, you know, like, you know, we would go to the hotel and, Hey, let's go to the movies or, Hey, let's go downstairs and grab a bite. And right around 92 or or so, Michael couldn't be 
he couldn't do those things anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's when things began to change. And you saw, yeah, as his public life was growing, privately he had to find other ways to keep, you know, to stay grounded. And um, if anything, I wish I would have, I wish I would have been a little bit more aware of it because that, that's, that's tough. And um, I, I, that's the one thing I did learn by watching this is it was, it's painful. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've heard me say it many a times, Tate, I, I don't wish superstardom, I don't wish that on anyone because mm-hmm. with that comes a lot of responsibility. And certainly Michael had the personality to absorb that, but it was only with great humility that he was able to get through this. And what we saw at the end was, yeah, he was this, he had this image, he was tough and he was competitive, but you saw at the end that he was very compassionate and he was very aware of everything, especially his teammates um, about it. And I thought it was a great way to end the story. And he says, you know, at the end, and, and we'll work back through the, the two episodes we saw tonight, but at the end, you know, Michael Jordan, the summation of the documentary for him, he says, you know, it all started with hope, you know, for him. And, and, and that was kind of his, you know, passionate way to say it all started with the game. It all started with the artistry that was built from the game of basketball. And you mentioned the human side of this. And I thought one of the fascinating things that we saw in this documentary is, you know, it starts out with Reggie Miller, right? And, and we see... The, the Reggie Miller, Michael Jordan, that, that Pacers series obviously was a very heated series. Ends up going seven games. And the first thing we get is when Reggie tests Michael, right? He pushes Michael. You were you were there. And uh, and then Michael comes on a full sprint at Reggie. Uh, you grabbed Reggie. And then we get a cut to Michael Jordan. Michael says, don't hold him back. So you were the one holding Reggie back. Are you, uh, were, you, were you upset when you saw that? Where you're like, I shouldn't have held Reggie back? Because like, it seemed like Michael, he wanted the smoke in that moment. So that was, that was the first way we get into episode nine. It's a fight with Reggie Miller and Michael Jordan. Obviously, that was a heated rivalry you know, back in those times. Well, I think everybody understands. Should you have held Reggie Miller back, BJ? That's the question. No, well, well I, 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 I get what you're saying, right? <laughs> But if I go back in that moment, right, when you go back in that moment, um, it was understood that you were going to get in some type of, you know, there was going to be some type of physical altercation. That was just like, I, I can't like, like today is something that happens, you know, it's like, oh, wow. You know, it was understood <laughs> like you're going to get in some type of altercation. And what you wanted to do is make sure that your guy never got hurt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So most people don't understand this, but I'll, I'll go into it. If you watch the, the, the skirmish, mm-hmm. anytime there was a skirmish, you had to know how to address the skirmish, <laughs> right? So the first thing you did is you always grab the other guy. Mm-hmm. And that was the difference between a good team and a bad team, right? You didn't go in and grab your guy. You always went in and grabbed the other guy. Mm-hmm. That just, that was what a good team always did. Mm-hmm. So that what was going on, and that was the lesson that was learned. Now, all of the good teams knew that. So if you were a championship caliber team, you knew that immediately. So, yeah, he that's what he's supposed to do. He wants to smoke. And then we all did what we supposed to do. We grabbed Reggie Biller and, like, we're the peacemakers, right? Yeah. We're like, we're like my bad, Reggie. It's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Hit, Reggie. Right. So, and I knew Reggie, right? And I knew what Reggie was doing. I knew what Michael was doing. Look, and that's what you did. So that was the game gamesmanship, if you will, of, of mm-hmm. that era. And you know what? That was just kind of understood. 
Yep, and we see it in 1998. We're in the Eastern Conference Finals. We have the Pacers team. We got bald Chris Mullen. We got bald Rick Smith. We got superstar Reggie Miller. We got Jalen Rose explaining right. the whole team, you know, breaking down why they had a real chance. We got Larry Bird saying this was, you know, his first year being the head coach, but they had a real chance to make a run for a championship. But Reggie Miller, you know, we get a flashback. We go back to early in his career, and he's, you know, a rookie, and he's playing against Michael, and he's got the the throwback Pacers jersey on, you know, and he's feeling himself in the first half, and he and he starts talking to Michael, and he was like, I, I thought you walked on water, you know, this is this is, you know, no, and you like you said, you know Reggie, I've been around Reggie enough to know that Reggie Reggie can talk just like Michael can talk, and it's it's fun to be, it's great banter, right? Right. And you can see a young Reggie doing that to Michael. Michael comes back in the second half. And Reggie says, you know, don't ever talk trash to black Jesus. And, <laughs> and, and from that and that, that point on, we flash forward to 1998. Reggie is still talking trash, but he's not calling him Michael anymore. He's calling him the black cat. He's calling him, you know, black Jesus, whatever he's calling him. And Larry Bird, right, we see the moment when, you know, Larry Bird knows that Michael has the shot. And the Pacers end up winning that game. The shot goes in and out. But we see the respect there, and you and I have talked about this, and I want to get into to Larry and Michael's relationship because they show the freeze frame of Larry Bird when the Pacers, right, right, you know, right. Reggie Miller hits the shot, and it could be the game-winning shot, ends up being the game-winning shot. But at the time, Larry Bird is not amused at all because he knows like that Michael Jordan is Jesus playing basketball. And you and I have talked about them having a fundamental understanding of basketball itself. So to see Larry in that moment understand, you know, the sparring that is going on and knowing Michael had a final shot, you had been around Michael. Was that just one of those things where everyone that knew Michael knew that was just what the deal was? Or was that something special to see from Larry? Because I'd never seen that freeze frame before. God, that's a, that's a loaded question. That's a yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can say this. Um, MJ was always present in the moment. He always mm -hmm. was, he, he moved on. He had the, he had a sh very short memory. What happened last play, he'd already moved on. He was already there. Mm -hmm. So Larry Bird had the same mentality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the game is never over. You know, so, <laughs> you know, the funny part about that is listening to the press conference because he never acknowledged getting beat. It was like, mm -hmm. Did you lose the game? No, it was just a bump in the road. Mm -hmm. That to me is the humor of these guys. These guys never acknowledge when they got beat and they were always mentally trying to destroy the opponent. Mm -hmm. um, Michael was going to take that shot and live with the results. Not a lot of players, everyone wants to take the shot and hit the shot. How many players want to take the shot, miss the shot and live with the results? Mm-hmm. That was him. So uh, Larry had been in those moments and his reply or his, you know, his response <laughs> was like, great, because that's what a star does. <laughs> a mm -hmm. star just understands that. Larry understood that. The game's not over. Great shot by Reggie Miller. Mm -hmm. But nine times out of 10, the guy who has the ball last is probably going to win that game. Mm -hmm. And Larry Bird wasn't lacking confidence in that moment. <laughs> so he, he got it. And mm -hmm. uh, you could see he almost made that shot. I mean, Michael almost made that shot. Uh, which is, game. which is, which is obviously insane. You, you mentioned these press conferences, right? You know, they lose the game and MJ says, you know, you still have to come through Chicago and he doesn't just, you know, mention the Pacers. He mentions the jazz and everybody else in the West that would have to come through Chicago and they had just lost. It was a bump in the road, but 
there was always these little games that he was playing right throughout this. And we see this in 1998 as we keep going on. And then we get the, the Brian Russell flashback, which is basically Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan sized him up. You know, he, he had somehow ran across him playing baseball in Utah. And we get you in the background of that shot, BJ. You got your baseball glove. What, what were you guys doing playing baseball in Utah? And, and why is Brian Russell walking by talking junk to MJ? And did you give him a warning? Did you just say, hey, Russell, shut up? Because it came back you to know, haunt him. Say, you know, <laughs> someday you're going to be 50. I can't recall any of this stuff. Like, I don't know <laughs> what was going on. I saw that. I, I, I literally, I don't remember. Um, what I do remember, what I do remember is that, you know, you're always looking for something. Mm-hmm. Like, Tate, like, okay, after like 100 games or so, you just need something. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was, Micah would find these things and hold on to them, <laughs> and then he would make them real. Mm-hmm. They were real to him in his mind, as if someone was just coming at him in a way. And and it was always funny. And I was listening to John Stockton, <laughs> and I knew exactly what John was saying. John was like, I know this guy. Like, you don't need to say anything to him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For all we know... The kid could have just said hello, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no one else saw that but Michael, so <laughs> you got to ask him on that. You got to ask him what he saw and what he remember about that. About so Michael, that Mike, Michael claimed that Russell walked up. Uh, you guys, I'm guessing, are playing a game of catch, and he said, "Why'd you quit basketball? I wanted to play against you, and I wanted to take you on and shut you down." Basically, this is Michael's, you know. And then Michael says to the camera directly, "Then he was on my list." And then we, <laughs> and then and then boom, it's like we cut right to game one in 1997 and Michael Jordan's like I remember you said this to me playing baseball and now I'm gonna hit this shot over you and of course you know MJ hits the game winner over Russell and I just have to ask like what kind of you you mentioned the grudges like he must have an actual list I I gotta say this I don't recall any of this but I'm old Tate so don't hold it against me but I guess if the man said it's true then it must have happened maybe I was Maybe I was on the other side of the room doing something, or I don't know. I don't. I don't remember though. I don't recall that. <laughs> I don't recall. I plead the fifth. Whatever you have to say. Right. Um. We have to. We have to keep going because we're gonna stay in Utah. Because there's a lot of stories that happen in episode nine and episode ten. Obviously, because you know, ninety seven, ninety eight. We're dealing with the Utah Jazz. We're dealing with Carl Malone, John Stockton, who you just mentioned. But we also have the the mythology of the flu game. We've always seen, you know, the clip of MJ hanging on Scotty. And, you know, it's an amazing game five performance in Utah. But then we get the real story, right? In this documentary, we get the uh, the five guys in Utah apparently poisoned a pizza. Michael Jordan, <laughs> Michael Jordan could get room service. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly five allegedly. men showed up with a pizza and, and potentially poisoned Michael Jordan. So now it's the poison pizza game. It doesn't have the same ring to it as the flu game, BJ. And I think this is, you know, a tip of the cap to the Jordan brand, right? This is why he is is a, a magician as a marketer because a poison pizza game does not sound good in Utah, but a flu game in Utah that sells oh, to the so world. Good. And we just learned, you know, twenty years later that it was all a faux pas. But I still will always remember it as the flu game. Uh, do you believe the pizza story, or is this another MJ thing where we don't know? We just we just can't confirm nor deny what actually happened in Utah that night. <laughs> Again, like we don't know. We don't know. Like it was only like <laughs> we don't know. Like you know, I I had no idea that you know the the you know that pizza was the, that was the go to 
that was the go-to food before a game. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted to know what was on that pizza. Like, exactly. like was it a deep dish pizza? You know, I mean, he just he just did things a little different. Um, mm. But if you know, if that's if that's what it was, you know, I know I know George, I know Tim Grover, the guys who recounting the story. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I got to go with it. It was well, the pizza game. Well, we, we know someone that did not go with it, and that's Jerry Sloan. We get the press conference after the game. Uh, the media is letting Coach Sloan know that, you know, Michael Jordan was sick. He He's like, I guess I'm the last person to find out Michael Jordan is sick because he had a heck of a game from what I was able to witness, um, which, again, goes into the, the, the gamesmanship of Michael Jordan, right? Like you said, it, you, John Stockton knows you don't have to say anything to Michael because he's going to hear you say something even if you said nothing. He's going to get pizza delivered and be sick because <laughs> he's going to, you know, he's going to find ways to motivate himself. And I think, you know, that is the, the, the beauty of Michael, the basketball player, right? He, he is able to play these mind games. And that's why he and Reggie Miller were such a great back and forth because Reggie was doing, you know, a, a similar game, right? That that was a fun way to do it. But aside from basketball, we see the human side of Michael in this documentary. And you mentioned the fame aspect of this. As he as his fame grows through from 92 on, as, you know, he, he grows into an international phenomenon, as we've seen documented in this whole series, right. Michael, you know, gets to the point where he's closer to, you know, his security and he's closer to the people that are basically d- working for him and being around him. And one of those guys is Gus. Right. And one of the beautiful moments we see um, going back to that Pacer series Gus, you know, was dealing with chemo um, and he obviously, you know, Michael had been very close to him dealing with his father and all these sorts of things. We get the background of Gus, but game seven comes around and, and we always point to Broadway Joe in the Super Bowl three, right? He always demanded and said, you know, we're going to win Super Bowl three and everyone said he was crazy. Well, Michael Jordan in this series casually says we will not lose game seven. Right. And, and, and as you and I both know, game sevens, there is no guarantee. Anything can happen yeah, in a game that's, seven. That's true. And and whether it be injured, whatever it may be. But Michael Jordan says, we will not lose game seven. Gus comes to the game. You know, he gets the greeting and, and it's a whole right. moment. And we, and we get the story of the human side of Michael. And I just want to point that out because obviously we're going to obsess over the basketball aspect. But this goes back to what we talked about, the homeboy, the country boy, whatever you want to call Michael. But the family guy who wants to have people and real relationships with people. And he obviously had Gus there and he wins game seven and gives him the game ball after the game. You know... We all knew Gus. Mm-hmm. Gus was, he was part of the team. He was part of the group, right? I mean, <laughs> the entourage. Gus, he was part of the guys. Gus gave us all a hard time. We gave him <laughs> a hard time. He was part. I mean, that was, that's great. And, um, but that that's Michael. Like Michael mm-hmm. is, he is fiercely loyal. And, you know, those guys would do anything for Michael. They would do anything for all of us, but in particular, Michael, because, you know, Michael was, I mean, he he couldn't go anywhere. I mean, he would, he, you know, whether he was at home or on the road and those guys were great. And, uh, and the great thing about it, um, which you saw, it was that it was a genuine relationship. It went well beyond, you know, that was your job. That was, you know, they were part of the family. They were part of the trash talking Mm-hmm. being in the locker room <laughs> they were part of it and uh you know all those guys are so happy to you know i was around all of those guys for so many years and and um so we all knew the the, the you know, how special the relationship was but that's the type of person michael was you know and he kept that very private it wasn't one of those things that people knew about but those people meant a lot to him 
and um, they always had words of encouragement. But the most important thing is they were they were they were real. They just, I mean, if something wasn't right, they were they would let us know. They they'd be on us all. You know what I mean? They were they were just part of the they were part of the team. So uh, mm. you know that was great to see, and I'm and I'm glad they were able to see the relationships that he had built behind the scenes. Absolutely. And then we move on, right? Larry Bird, after that game seven I just mentioned, comes up to Michael Jordan in the hallway and basically says, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, That's and, great. That was great. And that yeah. was like, when you talk about sports and, and like, those are two guys that they get the game of basketball to the ultimate uh, understanding of what it means to play the game and compete. And uh, to see Larry give him a little dig there, but also the respect between those two guys. That, that's like such a subtle moment. And they're both such country boys that it's not going to be more than that. But yeah, it yeah. Just, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> you know, the thing is, you know, we're all analyzing this and yeah. what made these people this way. But to them, you know, like, the truth of it is, is Michael is an incredibly simple person, right? He is a country kid from North Carolina who loved just being one of the guys. And for, you know, Larry Bird was a kid from Indiana. Yep. All he wanted to do was, you know, just be one of the guys and play basketball. Yep. That was it. It wasn't any more complicated <laughs> or sophisticated than that. But so that exchange, like, kind of summed it up, you know, F you. Yeah. <laughs> and you laugh about it. Yeah, hey, F you uh, too. And, 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 and they say it, and it's like they said like a thousand words, you know? Yeah, I mean? exactly. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know what to say, so you just say F you. And that's it, and then you walk away. So that that's that's who those guys were. And uh that was that was a great exchange. And you know what was great about the exchange? Because you, very rarely do you see Larry smile. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's the kind of respect that you had. Like you competed, you did what you had to do. And then after the game, you would come in and you, you know, you had the ultimate respect and to see Larry mm -hmm. smile in that moment was just, I mean, that was just great to see. And it's also, I mean, this man is his first year coaching the Pacers. They had a real legitimate shot to win a championship. He just lost to Michael Jordan. And like you said, he's smiling because there's that innate respect for the game of basketball and for the way that Michael was able to handle himself. And he's playing at a level, like you said, he's not 91, 92, Michael, at this point. He is mentally able to will this team to victories. Sure, yeah, and yeah. one of those, one of the ways he does that is by saying, we will not lose game seven. And before the game, you know, Scott Perel's sitting over there. And there, there. There's two groups of people that Michael Jordan uh, that are hilarious with, and it's the Scotties and the Jerrys. And, and it's with Scotty Pippen and Scott Burrell. I mean, they're getting worse <laughs> trash talk than anybody on anybody, any other team before a game. And then you got Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf. And Michael Jordan, he just goes at both of them. But it, it, there's like a, it's like a kiddish, it, it's hard to explain. It's like playground talk. Um, and, and there's so much love behind it. But it's also, you know, it, it's so much, he wants them to be great. Like he wants Scotty to be great. He wants Scott Burrell to be great. And that's sort of, it's infectious almost when you see Michael in these, in these environments with these guys. Yeah, I mean that's that was his personality. It, you know, I, I I when I came into the league, I just that's where that's what it was. You know, I mm -hmm. didn't know I hadn't been on another team yet. I didn't have anything to a barometer to say this is right or this is wrong. Yeah, that's that's just how we did. But you know, the thing is with those teams is that you can't argue with the results, and whether or not how whether we agree with the, the relationships we had back then or how it was portrayed, the thing you can't argue with is that, and when it's all said and done, you know, that team, that organization with Michael and Scotty and these guys leading the charge, they won six championships mm -hmm. and they figured out how to get it done. 
Uh, it was a probably I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> that's the, that's the ideal way to do it. <laughs> but in the end, you get the results that you're looking for, and certainly those teams were able to achieve that. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. The Last Dance has reminded us just how much we love the game of basketball. And before you know it, the lottery and draft will be here. Even though there hasn't been much action on the hardwood, DraftKings Sportsbook keeps the action coming. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is now offering a special one-time sign-up bonus up to $1,000. During this time of limited sports, DraftKings Sportsbook is rolling out a number of futures bets. So far, they offer bets on who the first pick in the draft will be. Uh, the chance could be LaMelo Ball and the 2019-2020 Finals winner, given if, you know, potentially we have a basketball season come back. If sports betting isn't your thing, don't worry. DraftKings has you covered. They are hosting a number of free-to-play contests every day. Yes, including today with thousands of dollars in prizes up for grabs. American-made DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code LASTDANCE when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code LASTDANCE and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back to After the Last Dance. And you mentioned not the ideal way. So we get into the 1998 uh, finals and we have, you know, the Utah Jazz. We get Stockton basically saying we're not scared of Michael Jordan. We know who Michael Jordan is and and we are playing and competing to win a championship. We weren't here to to let Michael get another three-peat and we weren't let, you know what I mean? I think right. that's sort of the misconception too. A lot of these guys like Patrick Ewing said, it's like, I wasn't rooting for Michael to beat me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I wasn't sitting there watching Michael be like, this is amazing. I'm like, I hate this guy in this exact right. moment. So we get Rodman, right? Game three, he decides, uh, and Phil and Rodman have a great relationship. Uh, we see in 97, Kukoc gets the dunk. He and Rodman hug. Um, there's a lot of characters on their, on these teams, obviously. Rodman leaves. He joins Hulk Hogan. He's wrestling now professionally. He's also playing <laughs> in the NBA Finals. Can you DJ. just say that again so I can hear that? Can you say that again? I just want to yes. hear that again. Yeah, so after game three in the NBA Finals, Dennis Rodman, the third most important player probably in the series, uh, he decides to join professional wrestling <laughs> the new world order with hulk hogan who is drawing on a beard with a sharpie and uh they're they're drinking they're they're wrestling they're hitting people with chairs and phil jackson and the rest of the bulls are being asked about dennis rodman um phil obviously said that dennis had his own process and uh, we under we understand dennis's process and we get this this funny scene which you mentioned the, just the chaos of the bulls but the they the team it's it's the Bulls versus everybody at this point, right? There's such a there's such a media machine, and we get inside. It's one of the assistant VPs with the team, and he's like, "We're trying to get Dennis away from this 300 you know group of media. They're sne- <laughs> they're sneaking Dennis out. They get him to run out of the facility. He hops in some getaway car, and you know you obviously are play you just played them in you know a couple right, rounds right. before. But can you just speak to just the fame that was going around this team? Because obviously 300 media people, Dennis Rodman running away, also being a professional wrestler, but also competing in the finals that that's just sounds like mayhem um yeah th- there's a lot going on there's a lot going <laughs> on and, and, and you know uh, uh, many times you know you needed to break up the monotony of the season mm-hmm. 
you 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 just needed that and i don't know if it was a conscious decision by the team or the players but like when those things would happen they were massive media stories mm-hmm. <laughs> but i don't know i i i think it i think it was because it's it, i think it was probably phil's personality right phil likes to do things in, in an unconventional way mm-hmm. it was like they would happen and it was like you know and you didn't blink you know you were just like oh yeah yeah <laughs> now i'm not suggesting this is what young people and people should do <laughs> i'm not suggesting that at all mm-hmm. but with that group and with that team that's kind of what you you did now you know i had a coach ask me one time he said hey bj what's two plus two all right you know it's four oh, hey i give myself a little credit i'm feeling good about myself <laughs> the coach just walks away from me he goes that's the wrong answer mm-hmm. this is the nba Two plus two in the NBA is nine. The next time you say four, you probably won't last very long in the NBA. Now, that made a huge impression on a young kid when I first came into the league. You had to learn, Tate, how to function in dysfunctional environments. Mm -hmm. So I would always ask the young players when I was in the league for a little bit, what's two plus two? And you got to learn, Tate, that Going to wrestling, if that's what he needs to do, <laughs> as long as he played well in between mm-hmm. the lines, so be it. <laughs> so be it. So be it. Now, uh, take, hey, as they say, you got to take one for the team. If that's what you need to do, you got to do what you got to do. Now, that's the world of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't say it's right for all teams, but for him, the more, you know, crazier it sounded or what have you, whatever word you want to put to it, that's what Dennis Rodman did. And But I can assure you this, when that game started at 7.30, he was going to be ready to play. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody can't do that. That's not for everybody. But for him, that was what he did, and so be it. So Dennis fit the NBA description. What's two plus two? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and, and that's how i looked at it and i mean i don't know those things don't even like everybody's like oh my gosh like how (laughs) i'm like like i don't even think twice about that that's like that's it (laughs) Mm -hmm. he went and had a little wrestling event okay Mm -hmm. good friend what time is the game tomorrow that's (laughs) like that's just that's just probably that's probably me being around the NBA a little too long. <laughs> you know? <laughs> be honest you kn- with you. You you now know it equals nine, and uh, and and Phil knew Rodman had to go, you know, be himself, right? And obviously, if your nickname's the Worm, we expect to get a little bit dirty. You know, we're, we're right. it's gonna get a little bit muddy, and it's gonna get a little screwy. But at the same time, like you said, you're gonna work hard. You're gonna get it done on the court, and we saw that with Rodman, you know, battling Malone on the block, and you know. We, we, we kind of get down to the final sequence here. And, and as we're getting down, it's 86 to 83, right? And, and we get a timeout. Phil calls a timeout. We get the whole Scotty Pippen story. Scotty's back. You know, he gets a dunk on the first play of this game in game six in Utah in 98. And he's struggling with his back. But they're basically Scotty's, for anyone that wants to call or has called Scotty, whatever, about being soft, obviously we see in this moment, Scotty right. is beyond to be able to have, you know, his back basically 
shrieking up and tightening up on him. And he's still staying out there setting screens, getting rebounds, hitting turnaround mm-hmm. shots. Right. Um, it, it was magnificent, right? So we get that whole journey. But 86 to 83, uh, Stockton had just hit a three. Jordan uh, knows, right? We, t- we talked about the anticipation of Michael Jordan. He- he's aware that they had this patented play to Malone. He knows they're going to throw the ball to Malone. Rodman is there. And he kind of does this, you know, just like I'm tucked away and I'm hiding a little bit. Pokes it away, gets the steal, goes down, scores on Russell, who, again, asked him, why'd you quit? You know, so we get another, another jab from Jordan there. Um, right. So that's one bucket. And then we come down, and obviously Jordan, uh, he-, he-, he lets everyone know there's no push-off here. 6.6 on the clock, ball comes out of his hand. Jordan hits the shot. They, you know, play defense 5.2 on the clock. Stockton puts up a good look. Ball goes in and out. Jordan points to the crowd. He's putting up six to the world. He can't believe it. Here we are. The last dance is complete. They can't even fathom what it means, you know, to have six championships. You see them on the bus afterwards. And just seeing that whole, it's 86 to 83 under a minute left in a game six where you're going to go to game seven and all the momentum is going to be for Utah and Michael's on fumes at this point, but mentally he's able to get himself there where he makes this amazing basketball play. He comes down, he takes over the game and then he hits the shot. He opens his career, hitting a shot for national championship in North Carolina, closes it on the other side, hitting a shot here against Utah in game six to go six for six in the finals. And it almost feels like it's too poetic to be true. Right. BJ. I'm like, is this a living movie? What is going on? Because that's how – that's the bill. That's the final bill. And Michael Jordan put six to the world, and he's done it. Yeah, I mean, what an amazing – I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, it was – I mean, if you're talking about, you know, every kid who ever played, you know, you dream of hitting your last shot. You dream of those moments. And then suddenly he has a real-life moment where he hits that shot. And I remember watching that game. He didn't, he wasn't playing particularly well that game. He didn't shoot Mm -hmm. well. And um, I just remember on that play, you know, he, he did always kind of what he's always done. He always reverts back to the fundamentals of the game. Mm -hmm. And if you watch that play, I don't know what he shot. I can't remember, but I just know he wasn't shooting well. He wasn't playing well, but on that play, it was fundamentally like he did everything right. He followed through, he squared up. He held it, the, the release. I mean, I never knew he even knew what a shooter was supposed to do with, with the two. Two fake, two yeah. Fig. Like, he just always had a counter to the moment. He was like, every moment he was always prepared for. So to just hear him say that, I was like, okay, he really knew how to shoot. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I never knew that he, he even knew that. Like, most shooters know that, right? Like, why would he know that? He didn't have to shoot. He was He could dunk and he's flying around. But he knew that. And uh, so that was like, you know, again, that was just another another thing um, that I was like, oh, wow. Okay, he had the fundamentals of shooting. And what I found really funny, though, was, you know, he takes these little jabs, these little subtle jabs, right? Like, mm-hmm. so clearly he's listening to everything the media says. He was like, it's not a push off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, so I'm trying to make sure y'all know. Yeah, he was already yeah, leaning. Yeah, he was already leaning yeah, that yeah. way. I just yeah. gave, him a, I gave him a pat on the ass to say goodbye and see you later. I know. It's just like little things like that. And that's what I find the humor. It's like, why is he listening to every little thing? So then he's like, see, see, I was right. <laughs> you know, that. so that was, I, I thought that was really funny. It's like little things like that, that I don't know if people catch. But that's his sense of humor, and uh, <laughs> but you know that's how he is. 
And before we get to the final sense of humor moment with the iPad with Michael Jordan, we'll get to, and that's with Jerry Ryan. So but before that, there's two things I want to point out with the celebration. One, Carl Malone, right? He comes on the bus, and you talk about the, the two sides, the professional side, the mailman versus Air Jordan, and then it's Carl and Mike. And, and Carl Malone comes on the bus after that game, congratulates Mike, and it was a small moment in the documentary, but it also... You know, for me, watching those lives, I thought those two guys hated each other. And you see Michael Jordan say, say hello to your wife. You know what I mean? It's like it's like this special, yep, yep. normal human moment. We get to see that, um, which is great for sportsmanship. And then, like you said, we go to the piano and Michael's holding court. And this is Air Jordan. This is the the persona that has become Michael Jordan at this point. He's got six championships. He's got the piano. He's got a cigar. That it's not even supposed to be a smoking floor, but now it's a smoking floor. <laughs> and and he's got, you know, just the classic fanfare. People are like, Mike, what about that last shot? He's like, everything was short. So I had to hit him that last time. Square up two fingers smooth. <laughs> right, you know? right, right, right. And, and, he, and he's like talking shop with the guys, you know, and that's, that's what we've always talked about. Michael just being one of the guys in that moment and then we also like you just said we get michael hears what everyone else is saying and he's also heard the commentary as the doc has gone on and jerry reinsdorf has been asked you know why not seven why did they not bring the team back we know that this is the last dance but there was a conversation jerry had with phil michael was shown the ipad he gives you know his his instant reaction to it and then like you said he states to the world we should have won seven and, and that is the uh I, I was telling you I wanted to figure out what the definitive you know statement from Michael would be on the series, and I think the definitive statement is Michael's still hungry, like he's still competitive and he's still competing in this documentary because he's still trying to let to the world know that if he had a chance he would have gone for seven. Uh, he says Scotty would have come back and Phil came back. You know, he, he explains all the dominoes of how it would have happened, and uh, I think that is the the full thesis statement on Michael Jordan. Right? He's never quite done. He always wants to find the next competition. That's why he makes up people making up quotes. That's why he says he may have gotten a poison pizza because he always wants to find the next competition, the next challenge, and he wants to compete. And I think, uh, you know, in the sports world, we, we idolize competitors in that competition. Michael Jordan is the living embodiment, embodiment of that, I think. And, and we saw that on full display here. Yeah, you, you did. And, you know, for those of us, and I think everyone saw it now, you got a little peek mm -hmm. at his makeup. I didn't expect him to say anything else but that. <laughs> like, he wouldn't be Michael Jordan if he didn't say that. Um, mm -hmm. That's... That's his makeup. When I say you, the man is never going to give up, he's never going to give up. He's never going to admit defeat. He's never going to admit that it's over. He's never going to do that. That's just not how he's cut. That's not how he's built. You know, um, as he was saying that, it reminded me to a few times where I really didn't, I truly didn't know what he was going to do. And the last mm -hmm. time I didn't know what he was going to do was at the Hall of Fame speech. I was really afraid that he probably wasn't going to show up to it. And the reason being was because if you know him, you know, the Hall of Fame, the way he's made up and the way his mind thinks is like, it's over. And I thought there was a small possibility that he wasn't going to even show up to it because the Hall of Fame really meant that it was over. The light switch is never off for him. That's how he's made up. And you, you know, for us that was in the locker room, you never asked him that question. Like, I wouldn't ask him that question because it, it would be like, I can't even imagine this would be like, yeah, after the end of uh, the six championships, we were just tired and 
there's no way we could have came back. That doesn't even sound right coming from him. <laughs> for him, hey man, could you? What y'all gonna do next year? Oh man, we would have won it for sure. Like, like, and he says it with conviction. Like, oh yeah, we. Would, yeah. What about the following year? Oh sure, we would. We'd have done that. We'd have won nine, ten in a row. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's that's how he, that's his makeup. The last time I was really nervous for him, like I didn't know what this was gonna be. The the, the this you know this doctor series was. I really didn't know if he was gonna show up to his to the Hall of Fame. I didn't know. And and as I'm watching this, I had no idea how they were going to conclude this. As you mm-hmm. and I were talking, I was I, I, I was quite asking you all, like, what did you think? Like, what did you think? Mm-hmm. How was this going to end? But it ended how it all began. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what I, well, yeah, the game's not over with. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was ready. He's ready to play. So mm-hmm. for his personality, it is only right that the game ends on Oh yeah, mm-hmm. nobody beat me, mm-hmm. and you know if they would have came back, we all would have came back, and we all would have won again. So mm-hmm. it's great. I think it was terrific. You know, bravo to to Jason Air, to mm-hmm. all of the people, and uh, I think it was fabulous that you know that you know Michael decided that this was the right time to let people look and peek behind the curtain and see his mindset and how he really, you know, how he thought, you know, how he thought about the game. And I thought they did a terrific job. Yeah. And he's a true artist. And, and we see that at the end and, and we get the whole, the whole ceremony, obviously Scotty, you know, at the parade says, you know, thank you for our last dance. And then Phil Jackson and Steve Kerr explains the whole ceremony that they had. Michael wrote a poem. Um, and it was obviously a moving moment for all those guys. And like you said, I mean, no one ever beat that team. They never That's came right. back so that they have this kind of special bond. And like you said, Michael can continue to live with the fact that, he says it's maddening. You know, I, I left at my peak and I still don't know. I like we talk about passing the torch. Like he never had to do that because he never lost with that team. Yes, he went back to the Wizards, but it's not Phil. It's not Scotty. It, it, it's not the nucleus of who the Bulls were. And, you know, we, we talked, Jason mentioned the Dean Smith rumors in 98. And there was some some chatter about what Michael would do. And he eventually decided to step away because it wasn't the right situation. And he wanted to be at the peak of his powers. But I, the, the last two people I want to mention um, that, that had their final quotes, David Stern, the late David Stern, the great David Stern. Um, it just explains the reach of what Michael did for the yep. game of basketball for the NBA. Um, and, and, you know, he says he, he advanced us tremendously. And I think that is a, a, a big statement, obviously, for what Michael did for the game of basketball. Yeah, I, I you know, listening to David and uh, knowing him for 25 plus years, mm-hmm. um you know, I don't know if people really understood because it kind of the, the speech, if you will, and what he said, he just it just kind of came and went. But mm-hmm. what he said was like really powerful that everything that we're seeing today, merchandise, business, the game, you know, how we watch the game, how the game is prospering and a global game, you have to give it to him Michael Jordan Michael Jordan is the reason that this game really took off the way it took off and um, yes it is a team sport yes there have been some wonderful players but no one has done it like he's done it you know as I watch the game today you know I I was old enough to remember the impact of 92 when Mm -hmm. that happened and when I tell you Tate the game went in a direct a totally different direction 
And you look at the league today, Tate, they're a third of the league, the third of the players in the NBA are foreign-born players. Mm-hmm. And that all started from that 92 team. From so, Barcelona. From yep. Barcelona. So the inspiration mm-hmm. of all of those players, the Dream Team players, but in particular Michael Jordan, the global growth of the game of basketball started there mm-hmm. with him leading the charge. And uh, it's been amazing to watch. It's amazing that here we are 30 years later still talking about these stories. And um, you just got to say, you know, he was a once-in-a-lifetime player. Mm-hmm. And um, truly, Tate, I, 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 I saw it. And you, you know me. I don't talk about it <laughs> because it's like one of those things you're like, you can't believe it. You know, you know how it mm-hmm. is, you know. You know, Tate, like, I used to always laugh, you know, the older guys, like, Dad would be like, man, you're getting soft. I used to walk 10 miles to school. And, mm-hmm. and all in the snow. Stuff, and, in the yeah, snow. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> previous generation is always softer. You know, Tate, I saw a man, Tate, get hit, fall down, play the game in a way, Tate, that I've never seen. Mm-hmm. But throughout all that, Tate, no matter what happened, you know, yes, he won six championships, and that was impressive. But the most impressive thing, Tate, was to see a man take all of the abuse, the physical abuse, the mental abuse, the ups and downs and trials and tribulations, and always get back up, Tate. Mm-hmm. That, man didn't, that, that man don't know the word quit. That man, that man would find a way, Tate, to get back up every single time. And that, to me, Tate, is the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And to see and line up with somebody where you knew Tate, there was no quit in him, no matter what was going on, um, just gave me the most confidence as a player. And um, I'm forever grateful that I saw it because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to say, oh, man, the game was better than whatever. Tate, I saw a man do this every single day. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a hard time just saying that right now. Like, Tate, mm-hmm. like I took a lot of pride as a professional, Tate. I took a lot of pride. Um, I, I, I tried to do my very best. Tate, I saw someone actually be at their very best every single day. Uh, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how you have the energy to do that. I don't, I, I wanted to do it, Tate. Some days I just didn't have it. Mm-hmm. That man was reaching places and finding energy where I didn't think it was humanly possible. And he did this every single day, Tate, time and time again. And I just don't like talking about it. So after today, Tate, I'm just going to like <laughs> let this thing rest. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I hope it's another 30 years and I can go back and tell my grandkids, hey, grandson, I saw a man do something I ain't never seen before. <laughs> because Tate, I don't think we'll ever see a, a player like this again. I mean, it was mm-hmm. um, it was just very unique. And I, I want to say this last thing, though, Tate. Um, you know, the one person that I always kept hearing in the background was Coach Smith. And I always knew that whenever time he would come around, the amount of respect that he, that when I say he, Michael Jordan would have with Coach Smith was one of the, it was one of the most impactful things I've seen because we all, you know, we all benefit from having mentors. But to have the level of respect that I saw one human being have for another human being, 
made such an impression on a young kid like me, and I didn't know Coach Smith from from anything. And I have two encounters with Coach Smith that I, I want to share with. I had two encounters with him. You know, there, there's been a couple people that I've met in my life that you know something is a little different. One was him. There's been a, a couple of people. But one was him. I remember when I met Coach Smith, he made an impression on me that just was I could always hear him. And I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. I just met him. And the other was Barack Obama. When I first met Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, I knew something was just like a little different. So my, my first encounter with Coach Smith was we play in the Dean Dome my senior year. I think that's 1989. Mm-hmm. And we were the first non-conference team to beat Carolina in the Dean Dome. And Tate, it wasn't five minutes that the game was over that Coach Smith came in our locker room, shook all of our hands, and called us by name and, and shook our hands and congratulated us. He couldn't have even gone in his own locker room, addressed his team, and he did that. And it was one of those things we were so excited, Tate. We won. We went down there. We beat Carolina. I'm sure that hurts your heart <laughs> to, to say that. I can deal with it. This this many years passed. But the the, the 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 humility in which he came into our locker room and shook our hands made an impression on a young kid. And I was just telling someone at the University of Iowa last week. I was like, "Do you remember that?" Like uh, our former trainer that was there. And I said, "Do you remember that?" He was like, "He was like, wasn't that impressive? Like that was eight, 1988 or eighty nine, somewhere around there. That made an impression on me because when." When I heard the Detroit story again, the Detroit Pistons story doing this documentary, I immediately thought of that. Like, there's a way to win and there's a way to lose. Like, I had an example of, like, how to be, you know, graceful in defeat. Mm -hmm. How to have, like, that level. And I remember that moment because that moment was like, why is he coming in here? And he was so, he did it with such humility. And then the second time I had a conversation with him, it was at Scott Williams' uh, wedding. Mm-hmm. And and we were at the wedding, and it was and it was it was it was great because it was just Coach Smith and I at the wedding, just for like two hours. Mm-hmm. And he was just sharing stories about life, and he was just like his words were like so impactful. Like mm-hmm. I I can't tell you it was like. And then I, and I, he just made such an, I like, I didn't know him. I, I, I never played for him. Those were my only two times that I've ever had like interaction with him, but his words were so impactful that I can just, it was like, no wonder all of these players have such respect for coach Smith. Like mm-hmm. anytime you see a Carolina player and when coach Smith would come around, it was like, like, who is he? Like, what did he do? Like, why are they so, and those, you know, two encounters that I had with him, like, I got it. Like, mm-hmm. and, and as I was watching this, you can see the respect and you can see how lucky you are, especially when you're young to have a mentor like that, mm-hmm. because he was, uh, I've, I've, I've never seen Michael, I mean, he was always very respectful. But when Coach Smith came around, 
it was just a whole nother level of respect. And um, he, he I, 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 I would imagine that his impact, I would have loved to have seen what he would have had to say more because, you know, he just had a beautiful way of utilizing words and impact on people. And uh, you mm -hmm. can see, you know, you can see the impression that he made on a young Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan called Dean Smith his mentor. He called him his second father. Uh, I worked on the Dean Smith documentary in 2015. And one of the okay. stories he told about Michael was, you know, and, and Coach Smith, you know that voice. You know, he said, well, you know, Michael's in practice. And, you know, he's one of those kids. You're one of those youngsters. I would talk to him and I would tell him something. And then he'd just be able to go do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, and, right. And that's how right. Michael was. But he would listen intently. And there's that picture of Dean, you know, and Michael's kneeling down and Dean's just talking to him, you know, on the sideline as a freshman. And Michael was a sponge. And at that point, he was Mike. And he grew into Michael. And you, you also mentioned Barack Obama. And Barack Obama, I think, had a, had a great quote at the end of this documentary right. where he says, I didn't even think about that i didn't even think about it you know he said he says michael jordan changed the culture you know and he was uh, i mean he gave michael jordan the the medal of freedom right which is a and obviously a huge honor and something that michael was very proud to do and i believe that was in 2015 which is right. about six years after 2009 when he had the hall of fame speech where people were like what's going on with michael because people didn't understand the full story and now you know we're 10 years later we we've gotten that full picture it seems like we we've all gotten some some clarity on the Michael Jordan that we all kind of knew from afar. We got to be close with Michael, and it, we had a close encounter with an iconoclast. And there aren't that many iconoclasts that are left in the world, you know. Whether it be a Maya Angelou, I mean, there, there's so many artists and people that are that are entities in and of themselves. And Michael was one of those people, you know. Michael, the basketball player, I should right, say, right. and and that is why. I think it was a fun ride for us all to be on. And you said you're not going to talk about this anymore. So this is the bookend. This is this is after the last dance. This is BJ Armstrong. This is Tate Frazier. This is us signing out for the final episode of uh, the entire series. And uh, we appreciate everyone coming on the ride. And uh, it all started with hope, BJ. It all started with hope. <laughs> that sounds good. And uh, once again, the lights are going off. <laughs> Uh, here we go <laughs> that was perfect that was, yeah, that was like, like poetic yeah and lights are going off hey it's been great my friend it's all good and uh it was fun so but here we go huh.